As the holiday season approaches and people look at buying gift cards for their friends and family, what are some things that both businesses and consumers should keep in mind in terms of how gift cards are regulated? Welcome to Lawson Insight. I'm Mark Fancourt-Smith, a litigation partner located in Lawson Lundell's Vancouver office. And I'm Alexandra Stoichev, a litigation associate located in our Calgary office. Paul is a partner in our Kelowna office, practicing in the fields of intellectual property, engineering, procurement, and construction, strategic sourcing, and privacy and data security. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paul. Thank you, Mark and Alex. Great to chat with you. So as, as a first question, I just wanted to uh, ask you a bit about how you came um, to law and to law. And you had uh, a bit of an interesting route before going to law school in the U.S. and clerking at the Oregon State Court of Appeals. Uh, you had a career as an engineer. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about that and what made you change courses. Well, thank you. Not to, you know, not to bore you to death, but I started my career on the contracting side of the oil and gas industry and was involved in working on a a gas plant that at the time was the largest uh, discovery in, uh, I believe, North America for about 25 years. So it was just a massive project. And the facility itself was contested at the regulatory level uh, at the time in Alberta. It was the ERCB. And what I found interesting was uh, during those ERCB hearings and in preparation for them, I was the project designated uh, technical advisor, if you will, for for that regulatory process. And I found myself educating the lawyers and feeding them notes during the process uh, on the aspects of the technology that was used. And recognizing how well lawyers were paid then and how little engineers were, I thought, well, there's clearly something more to chasing the business. And uh, I thought that was a good opportunity for me to leverage my engineering background and take it into law. And then, so how did you find yourself coming to us? You know, at the time I was living in Kelowna and had been for a number of years uh, commuting to Calgary and uh, recognized that the tech sector was uh, something that was really going to happen in town. And uh, just as a matter of pure fortuity, I met Mike McCauley and it was really just the opportunity of a lifetime. And I'm very grateful to uh, have met Mike and, and the firm and uh, had an opportunity to be the boots on the ground here in Kelowna to... Uh, to staff the office uh, by myself for about 15 to 18 months. Um, it was just that simple. Uh, so, Paul, you are the first person who we've had uh, from the Kelowna office on the podcast, and it presents a, a nice opportunity for us to chat a little bit about that office. So how did the Kelowna office come to be, and um, what makes it unique? Well, it was really uh, it was really a, the firm's vision in recognizing the tech sector that was emerging here to set up an office to catch that wave. So the office opened here in the spring of 2017. We're frankly fully staffed already, and we strategically caught some space in the Innovation Center, which is really, you know, in the same building and one floor above the local accelerator in the Okanagan, which supports the, you know, the tech entrepreneurial sector, as well as the tech hub set up by the University of British Columbia Okanagan's campus. So it couldn't have been a a better location, a more strategic location. It couldn't have been a better time. And the office, uh, we've got quite a diverse skill set here. It's tech heavy, as you can imagine. So there's myself and I've got a commercialization practice. 
We have Rick Okama, who's our patent agent, and we have Mike McCauley, who leads the M&A financing corporate structuring uh, side. Uh, in addition, we have a tax associate, commercial litigator, and the head of our research and opinions group. So it's really a well-positioned skill set to, to serve the tech community here and beyond. Now, I wanted to turn to the uh, the topic of the day, why we asked you here. Um, over the summer, you blogged about the prepaid purchase cards regulation. The title of the blog was the Gifts That Keep On Giving. Now, we're familiar with the reasons why we buy uh, gift cards or prepaid purchase cards. One, it's, it's one small step above giving money in terms of lazy gift giving. Uh, in some cases, it's a way to get uh, a deal on goods and services. I wanted to ask you, and it comes from part of the focus of the article, what are the benefits to companies in issuing the gift cards? That's a great question, Mark. And when I was looking at this question that actually came up in the context of one of the ventures we were working with, it uh, it appeared to me that it was simply a matter of reach. It's a low-cost, easy way of attracting new clientele and keeping a current clientele uh, and you know binding them. You can walk into a Safeway store or a Best Buy store or pretty much anywhere other than uh, the actual store or service provider's bricks and mortar and pick up a gift card. It's just it's just so easy. Paul, just thinking about it, and again in the context of the of the blog post you made, one of the other benefits to companies, it would seem, in selling gift cards is a way to get revenue for services without having provided them yet. And that sort of then goes into the open secret of gift cards, which is that, you know, certainly less than a hundred percent of them are ever redeemed. And so to an extent, this is a way of businesses to get revenue without having to provide services in the end. In a sense, a company has a pool of revenue that it may or may not actually have to draw down upon to provide services at all. You know, I think that's a great point, Mark. Uh, very insightful. Uh, not only does it help balance the, you know, the peaks and valleys, particularly that we're seeing uh, this year on the retail side and, and other service sectors in terms of revenue, uh, but frankly, it, uh, let's face it, it, um, it increases the margin. Mm-hmm. Certainly they're not all redeemed, or if they are not redeemed 100%, I know I'm as guilty as anyone of uh, sitting on a bunch of cards and losing track of them. Well, and Paul, that leads into actually what I wanted to talk about next, which is how the practice of uh, businesses putting expiration dates on gift cards really drove this prepaid purchase card regulation. Because on the one hand, as I understand it, um, you know, having expiration dates is a way for companies to get more certainty as to the liabilities that they face going forward. On the other hand, it is also a way of potentially, and this is a bit of a more cynical view, but of ensuring that a lower percentage of the cards actually gets used or redeemed. Going back to that hidden or open secret, if you will, that profit motive. I think that's that's very much on point, Alex. The legislative response to to that was really with a view that it was a sharp practice and uh, trying to eliminate the ability to to really take advantage of people. So the regulation, subject to certain exceptions, of course, now provides that uh, prepaid purchase cards cannot have an expiry date, and, and even if they do. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's effective. And so on that note, what kind of tools does the regulation or even the Bureau uh, provide the consumer in terms of enforcing or making sure that that regulation is actually followed? Well, and this is where the consumer has to be looking out for, for themselves and really has to have an awareness of their rights in this space. 
A real good resource is just the BC uh, Consumer website. If you take a look at that, it even has uh, a discussion of what the legislation and regulations are, what your consumer rights are, and to the extent that that sharp practice uh, continues, there's even a form you can download, complete, and provide to the vendor. To the extent the vendor or supplier uh, ignores that, uh, then you have the opportunity to avail yourself of the resources at uh, uh, that the government makes available, and uh, and then they'll get involved. So uh, all to say, um, you can still use your prepaid purchase card. Okay, and I understand though that there are some exceptions to the prohibition on expiry dates. What are those exceptions, and sort of what's the reasoning behind that? So that's a really good uh, question as well, and there are a number of of exceptions. So for example, one of them is that if it's a purchase card issued for a specific good or service, I think on the website the example given is a haircut at a hair salon. Um, So that can have an expiry date, and the rationale there, of course, is that for that particular supplier or vendor, they want some certainty into how long they have this contingent liability sitting out there. So it's really providing those, those vendors with certainty. In what, uh, in what their accounts are. Another is if the purchase card is issued or sold for a charitable purpose. I think the rationale for that is self-evident. Another one is that if you receive a purchase card for something for free on a promotional basis or for anything less than its redeemable value, then it can have an expiry date. Again, just to promote the marketing um, and promoting side. Those are sort of the primary ones. Okay. And we've been talking about this in the context of um, the British Columbia legislation, but um, am I correct in understanding that there's similar legislation in other jurisdictions across the country? Uh, to a large extent, they're quite similar, but uh, there are differences. And so you really do have to be aware um, of what your rights are when you're a consumer in those different jurisdictions. Right. And conversely, for a lot of the small businesses who I know are promoting the use of gift cards, especially this Christmas, as Mark noted earlier, this one is particularly unique in people maybe um, both selling and relying upon gift cards. Those businesses will want to make sure that they're on side the regulations in their particular jurisdiction too, no doubt. Absolutely. There are a couple of other aspects to gift cards that we haven't touched on. For example, the obligation for the card issuer to ensure that they disclose the terms and conditions of the card. And to the extent that you purchase a mall card, a card that can be used at various shops within a mall, they are able to charge fees on that card. What sorts of fees are they able to charge on it? Uh, So the first is they're allowed to charge a fee when you purchase the card. Now, at least in BC, the limit to that fee is $1.50. They also have the right to uh, start charging a monthly fee to the extent that you don't use the card. So if you go for, I believe it's 15 months and you don't use the card, they can start to impose a monthly fee. You have an opportunity to go back and ask the vendor to give you an extension so you can start to use the card. But it's very interesting that the legislation has allowed suppliers then, uh, after a certain amount of time, to uh, to charge sort of a stale fee or a, a non-use fee, if you will. Just on that point with um, prepaid purchase cards eroding over time in certain circumstances, what are some other risks that a consumer might face if they are effectively sitting on a gift card? A great question, Mark. Uh, the risk, particularly in these times, is that when the consumer goes to use the card, the supplier, the vendor is insolvent and they can't use it. The, the gift card then is effectively an unsecured claim on the business and 
the ability to really extract any of the, the value of it is lost. I suppose the, the flip side to it, you know, from the vendor point of view, uh, especially for businesses who've been affected by ongoing restrictions and are using the gift cards to kind of balance out the peaks and valleys is that once the restrictions are lifted, they might be faced with a stream of customers with prepaid services. And so they're then in the position of having to provide the services, but without the revenue, just when they're trying to start back up. Increasing the slope of that hill they have to climb out of. Yeah, good point. Yeah. One last point I just wanted to to make and make you aware of, Paul. When I was pulling up the blog that you had done and I typed in uh, Paul Matthews and gift cards, you were actually not the first search result. Uh, apparently there is a certified public accountant in Texas named Paul Matthews who, as part of efforts to drum up business, is offering gift cards. I just thought you'd like to be aware of that in case you get any any inquiries which may seem puzzling and not especially blog-related. Well, thanks for the heads up, Mark. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Paul. Thank you both. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Lost and Insight today, and thanks again for Paul Matthews for being our guest. For more information, please visit our website at lawsonlundell.com and check out the blog authored by Paul Matthews on this issue. You can also stay up to date by connecting with us on Twitter using the handle at lawsonlundell and by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening.